Welcome back to Who the Hell is This For? Today we are talking Ready Player One. A little flick by a guy named Steven Spielberg. Have you heard of him? Probably not. He's real new. Before we get into everything, though, we do want to just run down a couple things. First and foremost, this episode is brought to you by the House of Cinema, specifically Joe, because he hooked us up with the rental costs because we, Jeff and I, refused to spend our own money on this movie. And... The, we gave the people what they want. They wanted to hear the Ready Player One episode. This episode is coming mostly because of the discussion or the announcement earlier last week. They're coming out with Ready Player Two, a sequel to the book. Pew, 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 pew. I have all my thoughts about that one. And then again, before we get started, we will also have those links to One Struggle KC and Transform KC in the episode description if you guys feel inclined to spend your money there instead of giving us money to rent a movie. Anyway, how are you guys doing? Doing good, Doing man. swell. Good to hear. What have you guys been watching over the past week? I watched some really interesting stuff this week. I watched three things that were new to me. None of them are actual new movies, but I watched Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Um, with Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, about sort of like a robbery gone wrong. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. Not fair. Like every time I watch a Philip Seymour Hoffman movie, I'm always like, I don't know, is that his best one? But it's really, really good. Really well acted. Not happy story, but really, really good. I also watched Blowout, which is a Brian De Palma film with John Travolta about a sound engineer who accidentally records an assassination. It's like a 70s film. It's actually really good. Um, I was very surprised with how good it was. And the third one I watched was Waiting for Guffman, which is a Christopher Guest. And I can't believe I haven't seen that one, but it just hasn't really been on streaming, um, which is up there with with peak Christopher Guest, A Mighty Wind, Best in Show. I think Waiting for Guffman is, is right up there. How about you guys? Nice. I actually have not seen any of those, so I'll have to oh, give man. those a watch. I, that, it is so ripe for like a marathon because they're all such easy watches and they're all okay. like really intricate like dry humor um so like if you're like in the mood to just like watch something like funny and easy christopher guest is like right up there okay i have really only watched i watched this movie and i watched justice league dark uh, which is an Ooh, nice. animated uh justice league movie which i really like it focuses more on constantine uh, even though it does have Batman, but everyone else, it's Justice or uh, Constantine, Zatanna, the Boston Santana? something. I forget his name already. Yeah, Santana, Carlos Santana. <laughs> and then Batman. I made a note uh, while I was talking to some friends about it while I was watching it. And just everybody except for Constantine is absolutely just caked up in this movie. <laughs> and like Batman just has stuffed a couple holiday hams into the Batsuit. It's ridiculous <laughs> they really steer into that like impossible body image that you see in comics so much what about you riley i well i've been trying to think and i really didn't watch a lot this week we got our puppy on thursday so we haven't been watching a ton that's fair yeah new puppy you don't we, we like yeah it's been a lot of start movies and then you never finish them <laughs> That doesn't go away. Yeah. At least with my dogs. Um, trying to think. What? I know we started Pokemon, like Indigo League. What else? I think that, I really think that's it. I, it's been a really slow week of watching stuff. You gotta tell the mm-hmm. listeners what your dog's new name is. 
Uh, new dog's name is Zuko. <laughs> he is a which rules ten week old pit American bulldog mix. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. He is the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> But he's good. That's that's solid. The the new puppy blues are always rough. One other notable thing that happened, I was talking to Jeff and Riley about this off mic. So Catherine was given a bottle of Chianti by one of her book club friends. Uh, they said it was taking up space. So they didn't really didn't have any room for it. And Catherine told me it was a big bottle. And I was like, yeah, okay, probably like a. 1.75 liter or even like a 3.5 you know could be a big one mm-hmm. this thing is four feet tall and it's, <laughs> it's like 70 years old i don't i have no idea of how to even approach this bottle so if you have any suggestions i'll post a picture on twitter of what this bottle of wine is but if you have any suggestions for how i should go about tackling this thing let me know it's basically a bow staff like that's if you if you want to ward off intruders into your house, I would just keep the Chianti under the bed. <laughs> Riley compared it to a didgeridoo, which is absolutely. I will attempt to drink directly from the bottle from this thing <laughs> at some point. Love I it. think you need to make like go even a step further and do like the connecting straws bit. <laughs> I I can I can work with that. All right, so should we go ahead and get into today's movie? I think we should. Before uh, that sounds good. Before Tyler um, really gets rolling, let's give you kind of an update. I'm working up a lather. I am just, <laughs> I'm ready to go on this movie. All right, let's give you kind of a, a rundown of what this movie is. So Ready Player One, um, as Tyler alluded to, is a Steven Spielberg flick. Um, it comes from the Ernest Cline book. Um, the much maligned Ernest Klein book, as you will hear a little bit later. And the story revolves around basically a treasure hunt within a video game. There's a creator of this world called the Oasis, which is a very enveloping and, you know, kind of overall virtual reality world where everything takes place. So commerce, schooling, everything like that takes place. And so the creator of this game system basically put control of the game system and basically his entire fortune into this treasure hunt to find an Easter egg inside the game to go through challenges and things like that. And so the story is basically all about um, individual players who are trying to get to the treasure and a corporation who is yeah, don't clan up, man, paying up for, um, yeah, (laughs) a corporation who is paying people and or, indentured servitude uh which is another theme of the movie we'll talk about to make sure that they are the ones that find the easter egg first so it's definitely very interesting it got pretty good ratings on rotten tomatoes it's a 72 percent on the on the tomato meter and a 77 percent on the audience score i think the surprising one is the 72 percent on the tomato meter based on usually how that group feels about movies like this uh, maybe it's the right age group to target people who would have grown up during the 80s who knows we are going to do a couple of rotten reviews and then we will let our very own tyler run through his rotten review of this i have just about two pages of notes and i'm just going to air all of those out before we get into the actual segments of the episode so that i can get it all off my chest and then we can actually discuss the movie all right i'm actually going to pull a couple from letterboxd 
first because I think they're they're even funnier. Um, if you want to follow us along on Letterboxd, we'll go ahead and drop the links um, after the podcast. You can kind of follow along with what we're doing. Here are some of the reviews. So from David Sims, this was a three-star review out of five and said, like Spielberg had a vision of hell, but also wants to make sure we still have fun. <laughs> Um, there's another one from, and I'm going to mess up his last name, but Demi. Oh yeah. Electro lemon on Twitter. There you go. His review is this movie is set in 2045 and involves the world being completely obsessed with the 1980s. There's a scene where someone plays a song from 1977 and someone else excitedly yells, Whoa, old school. (laughs) This movie is so weirdly depressing and dystopian. The tone is all over the place. And it's so absolutely unaware how it represents its own villain's desires and attempts to pander. Olivia Cook and Mark Rylance deserve so much better than Spy Kids, but there's a man who really wants to murder Spy Kids with a gun. <laughs> they, I think what's really even better is, more succinctly, I think I sent you guys the link that, to the song that Demi wrote when this came out that's just running through the pop culture references in it, asking you if you remember them. And it's the it's the best representation of this movie I've ever seen. And I did I retweeted it earlier in the week when the sequel was announced, but it I'll probably share it again when the episode comes out. All right, I want to see if I can find one more bad review. Well, if not, don't worry, I've got you covered. Let's go ahead and just let Tyler talk about this movie. All right. So Tyler, how do you feel about this movie? So First, I want to get into my issues with it writ large, and then I'll just run through my notes. The movie, well, the book first. The book is one of my least favorite things that I've ever read. I bought it on an air or in the Kansas City airport because I was going to a friend's wedding in Florida. So I bought it on a whim because everyone, everyone I've talked to would be like, yeah, man, you would really love this book because... That's just the vibe I give off. I am a very nostalgia-driven 80s dude. I am into 80s stuff, 80s video games, 80s movies, 80s music. And that's not unique. I'm not saying that's a cool, unique personality trait because people try and make it that nowadays. And that's kind of what this movie did. That's what the author certainly did because it's an incredibly thin plot. And I have a lot of issues with it, but I'll save those for actual discussion regarding the movie because some of those elements stayed with it. But... When the plot stops and when he kind of gets stuck, he just runs through what's essentially a Wikipedia list, just listing off names of things from the 80s. And it's not a story. It's not a narrative. It's just listing things. So it I hate read that entire book because I was stuck on an airplane and that's what I brought with me. And so I tore through this entire thing. Uh, there's also a really weird like virtual sex scene in the book that was incredibly uncomfortable to read on a plane but they they really toned it down but they do kind of hint at those type of things in one of the scenes in this movie but it i i kept reading hope it like i was trapped on a plane with this damn book and i'm like it's going to get better at some point it will get better and it never did and then it ended and i was furious i'm pretty sure This was a few years ago, but I'm pretty sure I got off the plane and immediately hucked it in the trash in the next airport. (laughs) It's so bad. And so anyway, let's get into my two pages of notes about the movie. They open with the absolute worst Van Halen song. There is bad CGI. There is trash dialogue. 
as soon as I introduce you to the Oasis, it's essentially just a bunch of Windows 98 screensavers, and then they're going through explaining how much the Oasis means to people, and then they cut to a Japanese businessman whose character died and he lost everything, and then attempts to kill himself after he dies in the Oasis. That's a pretty bad stereotype to fall back on, uh, because that's a pretty common thing that people like try and use to build the Japanese work culture into their character and narrative. It's not good, just don't include it. Gunter is a super dumb nickname for Egg Hunter. This movie's an absolute waste of Ben Mendelsohn. One of the lines, that's Canada's bike from Akira. Wow, thank you, never would have known. Also barely looks like his bike. Twitch is still a thing in 2045. The opening race scene is incredibly messy and just painful to watch. Imagine having a scene in your movie where the DeLorean races through Chinatown against Canada's bike past the T-Rex from Jurassic Park and I still hate this movie. You don't, e they don't even take the opportunity for the Akira slide with the bike when they're coming up against King Kong. And then, so we finish up the race, they go to repair the bike, and then we see the Iron Giant, which that just upset me. They're nothing yet, but just seeing the Iron Giant and knowing what they do with it later in the movie is just, oh, so upsetting. And then he's going through the lunchbox full of ships uh, that H made, and he's doing what the book did. He's just naming things naming pop culture references uh when his a-hole stepdad punches him in the face that's a terrible fake punch i do like the concept that people are dumping their real life equity into the game in an attempt to turn it for a profit that's a really cool aspect and i think they do touch on that pretty well they do that later in the movie too and i actually kind of like that the pan and zoom on the conversation between halliday and simon Pegg in the memory room is kind of cool I, I liked the pan and zoom. Everything about Halliday as a character is bad. Not as a character, as a performance, all of that. So if you've read the book, it's hinted that Halliday was on the autism spectrum, which makes that performance so much more upsetting. It's such a character of what that is. I hate it. I hate it so much. Okay. And so we're back to the race because now he's figured out he has to go backwards. So nobody this entire time tried going backwards. I. I grew up playing NASCAR racing games, and the first thing I would do would turn around and just drive the opposite direction on the track. You're telling me in this video game nobody tried this? Uh, does Ben Mendelsohn have veneers on? Kind of looks like it. Uh, and then he wins the race, he gets a bunch of money, and we are introduced to Chekhov's gun for later, uh, the Zemeckis Cube, and it sucks. It's a, a terrible plot device, and I have so many issues with that. Mendelssohn keeping his password on a sticky note is a pretty good bit. I like that a lot. That's kind of funny. So then, uh, Parzival's a celebrity, and he's swarmed by a bunch of other avatars. You have a guy who calls him out and like, hey, Parzival, what's up? He's using a Beetlejuice skin, and he doesn't even have a Michael Keaton voice filter on that. Trash his skin. It's completely worthless. <laughs> this movie has the worst soundtrack in a long time. I will say, he's back in the memory room figuring out the next clue. She wanted to go dancing, so we watched a movie is an upsettingly relatable line. I kind of get that. I've, I've definitely done that before. Oops. Uh, Blue Monday is one of the few good songs they used in this movie. And now, now we're in the club. We're in the club scene. We're introduced to a furry. That's upsetting. A Battletoad appearance is nice. And then he drop. he's dancing, he's getting real touchy-feely with his new haptic suit that you can feel everything and he drops i'm in love with you shut up nerd all they do okay so then 
we get to the Zemeckis Cube, and it reveals that the Zemeckis Cube takes you back in time 60 seconds because Zemeckis made Back to the Future. All they do for this is use the twinkle from the Back to the Future score, and that's it. They no other association with Zemeckis or Back to the Future for this cube, and you could have done something with that. You could have made this work. And then, okay, his family's blown up. He's over that pretty quick. And then he meets... This is one of my biggest problems from the book, and they kept it in because the character is very clearly like a self-insert for the author trying to show you how cool, how good of a person he is, and uh, how awesome he is for knowing all these things, and how good of a person he is for being attracted to a woman who has a birthmark. That's it. Like, the, the, there's a whole plotline about how he's into her because she has a port wine, or in spite of her having a port wine stain on her face. And it's treated as this like heroic heroic act within the narrative. No, that's dumb. Okay, then we get to the second thing. The Shining theme music is the best part of this entire movie because the Shining score rips, and I'm cool with them dropping that in there. That kind of made it work. Uh, H does essentially Tom Cruise's scream from The Mummy when they open the elevator at the Overlook, and then they figure out the clue. They figure out Halliday's biggest fear. Word for word, the line is, his biggest fear was kissing a girl. Oh my god. Alright. Then we end up in the real world. The generic boring action part manages to actually be exciting in this movie in comparison to everything else, because after all that mess, I was thankful for a breather that was just generic boring action. Sorrento walking away from Irock casting the protection spell looks like it is directly pulled from Canadian television show Reboot. However, we then get to the indentured servitude pods, uh, and they look very alien-inspired, and I like that. That is good to me, because this is very much a Wayland yutani style corporation. And then I am immediately back into hating it when we were preparing for our giant final war, when they're raiding on the third, or for the third key, and then the most upsetting thing to me is this entire movie is that you are using the Iron Giant as a giant battle mech during a war. Like, how do you miss it that much? How do you miss the point of what that movie... The, that movie has the line, I am not a gun. Oh, well, you're getting used as one here for all these people playing a video game. They do... Okay, also, Mechagodzilla, not what Mechagodzilla looks like. However, they do use the Godzilla theme, and I liked that. That was a cool touch. Then they bring in a Gundam, which... That won me over. I, I appreciated that because it was the exact Gundam that I uh, recently completed a model of. I'm cool with that. And okay, you're doing all these pop culture references and he has the holy hand grenade. You don't even count to three or even have a joke about counting to three or five when you throw the holy hand grenade? Terrible. Dumb. And then we get it to the summation of Wade Watts' character when he's playing the arcade game, when he's playing adventure for this, uh, for the third key. He says, it's pretty easy if you know what you're doing. That's, that sums up the character. This character has no challenges, has no trials. Everything is so easy to him, and the world is his oyster because he knows pop culture things. Uh, and very cool that we just get to watch a video game CG characters fight with no stunt work, no anything like that. It just it looks bad. It's a bad video game cutscene. And then zeroing everyone out with this giant bomb and just having one guy a magic quarter, or have a magic quarter that he got earlier to have an extra life, that's bad story work. Show, 
best part of this movie, hands down. I really like Sho as a character, the little 11-year-old. He rules. Uh, but also, there's a lot of rough Asian stereotypes throughout this entire movie, which kind of just come hand-in-hand with this type of, like, pop culture nostalgia bro. There's a lot, just especially in the 80s in general, a lot of bad Asian stereotypes throughout all kinds of media during that era. And, okay, yeah, so he's won it. The police are showing up. Sorrento's about to come and kill him. And so the police pull up into this crowd, and they drive into a crowd of poor people, and they only arrest the rich white CEO? Yeah, don't believe that. And then Simon Pegg waits to the very last second to show up. Uh, through all of this that's happening, he and he he's a guy with influence and with sway, and just nothing. Doesn't show up at all. And then the end, like, oh, I'm taking the leap, oh, and then he kisses her. That's dumb. And then the most emotionally moved I was during this entire movie, the entire movie, is when Steven Spielberg's name comes up and says, directed by Steven Spielberg. That got me a little bit, because I, I, Jaws is my favorite movie, Jurassic Park is one of my favorite movies. I grew up as the type of person you see in this movie. I love Spielberg. And so getting to see just directed by Steven Spielberg, even that will, like, pull at my nostalgia a little bit. That's it. That's what I've got for you. Wow. <sighs> I so did you hate this? Did you like it? <laughs> so like a seven, right? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, and we'll talk about in ratings. It came up a little bit from the first time I watched it. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. That was a lot. And I, man, you probably feel like way better. I do. This that was therapy. That was cathartic. Because I've never, I've talked a lot, but I know people don't want to hear that, so I I cut it off. Because I know people like this movie, and I should include the caveat. I know not everything I like is something everybody else is going to like, and everything I dislike, I don't expect other people to dislike. I get why people like this movie, but it missed in almost every way for me, and it just is frustrating. It's an incredibly frustrating bad movie for me. So. With that said, what did you guys like about this movie? <laughs> Let's go ahead and, and reflect on some of the stuff that you talked about, which is this This is a movie that weaponizes nostalgia, right? Both good mm-hmm. and bad, right? So there's when there's times that they use stuff organically or it, it fits or they either pay, I don't know if homage is the right word, but if they like sort of honor what the original thing is, those are the moments that seem to work really well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that you can listen to this movie or read this book or whatever and be like, yeah, I get mad at the listing of stuff, right? And I think that's where this really comes into play is when you use it well, nostalgia is great because it's it's sort mm-hmm. of a deeply grooved thing in your brain already. You've already got sort of a place for it. And so it is fun to return back to that as long as the whole thing is nostalgia. So there's some of the stuff that you talked about the musical cues, when they use them well, are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they go to The Shining and they do The Shining music, um, when they... What was the other... There was another score bit that you were talking about. They they do the Godzilla score. Yeah, Godzilla uh, score. And, they, and, they, and it's they, very they, subtle. And then they sprinkle in a ton of Back to the Future stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I think musical cues for nostalgia fit in a movie like this. And when they use them well, they're really good. Um, I have some, I have some other things too. Riley, did you have anything else on music? No, not really. But also, I did not hate this. 
soundtrack as much as Tyler did. God, this some of the my least favorite 80s songs in this movie. I hate Jump so much. I cannot stand Jump. Did T- and I like Van Halen. Did T95 ruin Jump for you growing up? Oh yeah. <laughs> T95 <laughs> in Wichita, Kansas. Yeah, P-Fit in high school because that was a song that always got played in the weight room and then K-State football. Yeah. Fair enough. I hate it. <laughs> um right. Panama. Panama's so much better. Riley, what did you think of the race scene? Cuz I know you're a big racing fan. What did you think of the race? I like I liked the the original race. I think Tyler brings up a good point of the tur- the going backwards. I mean, you still experience that in online play today that right. people yeah. turn around and just be assholes. Like um, some griefer would accidentally find their way to the first key before somebody actively trying to get to it. Well, see, the thing is, though, with that kind of race, they're obviously running running a sprint race, which is point A to point B. So nobody would think to go backwards because you, you just can't in a sprint race. Like you have a very designated finishing point. Now, if it was like a circuit race where you're in laps, then yeah. That's fair. Well, what I can't figure out is if no one finishes the race, right? Because a big... A big plot point of this is that um, Wade doesn't take risks that he's supposed to because he's afraid of dying and he can't afford to die because he can't, he has no money to rebuy all of his gear. So I don't know if that's supposed to be a plot point for the race where they're like, like they bail out so that King Kong like doesn't kill them type of thing. But then it's also like nobody ever finishes the race. So does everyone die or do they all respawn? You know what I mean? Like it's a little bit weird mechanism like right at the very beginning where they don't really talk about that. Yeah. Does everybody just get to King Kong and just quit? Right. Yeah. Every every single time. First one to King Kong wins. Yeah. Take the off ramp and just go about your day. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's some stuff in this that could be possibly explained by just the fact that everyone is afraid to like die completely and lose all their money but i agree with you that it seems weird that no one would have tried that before did you so ty you talk a lot about the cgi in this movie Mm -hmm. and how you you don't like the way that it looks i think it is just very cheap looking cgi and for the movie for it could there are some things that do look good and i get that it's a video game but also like make it look good in the context of this video game because there there are things that look good, but there are a lot of things that just look very cheap and shoddy. And that's your entire selling point for this movie. Is this a virtual world? You I have think, to make your virtual world look good. I think the problem with what, or not the problem with what you're saying, but I think the problem with what you're saying, the problem is, is that they went, this movie's more of a, like a high end cutscene instead of movie CGI, Mm -hmm. which are very different things. Um, What bothers me, and I know it's more expensive, I know the rendering is more difficult, uh, but high... The the HD cutscenes in a lot of games we see look better than this movie, which is bad. Like, that's a rough thing for your movie to have happen to it. I think the thing that you can see in this, and, and I don't know that I... The stuff that I noticed that I was really annoyed by was more character work than the action scenes. But I think Mm -hmm. that the action scenes 
are very busy. There's a lot going on at any given time. And if that's, that could be the thing that I could see is it was different. Like I, I enjoyed the race stuff when it was going on, but I'm sure if I went back and paused at any given time that there would be like three or four things in a visual frame that I'm like supposed to be paying attention to. And that maybe gives you this feel of like, if you've ever played like a, you know what I mean? Like one of those big games where everybody's in it at the same time, there is a mm-hmm. lot of crazy stuff happening. So it does feel a little bit like that. But as far as viewing it, there's this weird thing of like, am I experiencing the game? Am I watching something happen? And I think I totally agree with Riley that they like, they tried to portray this as if you were a player in the game watching this happen around you. So you are the camera. And everything else is like, you know, happening around you and you're trying to survive within this. And so I don't know if it's necessarily good or bad, but I, I agree with what you're saying that it is it is busy and it does not look like high quality CGI. And sure. I do like I get that because I mean, I, I played WoW for a good bit in the mid 2000s and WoW is not known for its high def graphics it is known for the mmo experience and compared to so the oasis is now the world's biggest mmo compared to wow which was an early 2000s one the graphics are a vast improvement so realistically if that game existed in 2045 it probably would look a lot like that i i do think it would probably look better so i i shouldn't hate too much on the cg because i just I don't know. There's some stuff that looks good. Yeah. Um, Riley, what else did you like about this? I've got some other stuff. But what did you like? Um, I was a big fan of the shining scene. Uh, but that kind of also goes back to the music. Um, I, I know this is very unpopular. But I do not hate all the pop culture stuff. I do not go into this movie looking for plot or anything critical. This is a pure nostalgia trip, and that's okay with me. Um, that's fair. I I like that. I like the big scene. I like being able to go through and not being able to focus, or you know, not having to focus on the story and seeing what things I can pick out. It it did feel it did feel Spielberg to me actually. Like mm-hmm. I I thought that there were there were a lot of emotional moments that I was like, this is dumb. But honestly, there are a lot of moments like that in Spielberg films where uh, yeah. you know what I mean, where you're like, oh, this is kind of cheesy, but it's just kind of what they're doing. And so I think the fact that you get some some Spielberg cheese, you know, with this, like I didn't necessarily like like it, but I don't necessarily know that it like didn't fit the movie as much as I just didn't really like it. It um, feels very much like Amblin. It has that it's Amblin very feel. Amblin. Yes, and I, I do, I like that. I like that it almost captured that. But to me, and I'll talk about this in the next segment. To me, it felt very like mass-produced, packaged yes. type Amblin, and not the organic Amblin feel that you get from Jaws, Jurassic Park, ET, all of those big nostalgia trips that Spielberg is responsible for, this doesn't have the same organic feeling to me. Yeah, I think I can understand that. And I think I, I see where I, you're coming from. I do still like getting to see all of these things. It's it's fun to point out references. I, I get that and I appreciate that. Something I want to talk about is 
so this movie this movie came out what two years ago 2018 yeah the book came out probably 2015 2016 does that sound right i think something like earlier. that yeah something i think like it was that. like 2014 so i want to kind of talk about the the audience for this something like this right because mm-hmm. the the book and the movie seem to be positioned as like a ya novel right it, like it it's, definitely is a ya novel right like it's this coming of age it's also like you know like we talk about it's very like simply written yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like it's not it's not this great novel right it's very easy to read it's the kind of book you read on the airplane mm-hmm. you know what i mean it very much is that kind of thing and so i think what's interesting about writing a, a ya novel or creating a movie with sort of a teen ish audience in mind is so many of the references are not things that they mm-hmm. would know you know what i mean it's not like it's early 2000s references like this is these are 80s references and so it almost seems like a ya story and a ya movie that 80s dads would take yeah. their kids to right like they're trying to like do sort of the dual audience thing and i think what's interesting about that is that it just doesn't really end up doing either one super well and so i'm not saying that you have to pick a lane but it is interesting that, I don't know, like someone who grew up in the 80s is not really looking to go watch mm-hmm. this movie for the nostalgia trip necessarily because the story is not really about them. So I just thought that was interesting. There's sort of a push-pull there with who I, it's I even I think for, the people you know? that would find this nostalgic and appreciate a lot of things that are in there, they're just going to go and watch those movies and play those games instead. They're going to actually find that media that they are nostalgic for and not something that's kind of like a secondhand nostalgia. Right. Well, it's this movie. It's not like South Park was directly making fun of it with the member berries, but like, that's what this movie is, right? With the member, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, remember when that thing was a thing? And like, remember when you were a kid and you ate cereal and played video games? Wasn't that fun? You know, it's like, yeah, cause we definitely stopped doing that. after That's what's so funny is like, This movie talks about this, like, lost time. And the funny thing is that, like, the only reason... That never really went away. (laughs) Well, the only reason you ever lose that is if you choose to lose it, right? Right. And, like, you have more responsibilities and, like, you can't just do whatever you want all the time. But, like, if you're still into, you know, 80s video games, 80s movies, Dungeons & Dragons, whatever it might be, who who gives a fuck? Like, we still all do that. I'm turning 30 this year. Who gives a shit? Like, I'm going to do whatever I want. So they think there's this weird nostalgia thing of like, ah, I wish I could go back and like do that. Like, you can engage with any of that stuff at any time. Right. And still enjoy it. That's right. okay. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel but this movie, it paints it as like a heroic or noble thing to lost. still be this person that does right. it. That's it's common. It's a very common thing. It isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And that I think that's maybe sometimes the nostalgia stuff where it's just like hey remember this thing makes me like grates against me a little bit because it's like you know like what you Mm -hmm. like like there's no penalty for liking something that someone else thinks is stupid like who gives a fuck you know what i mean and i think that's something that is maybe i don't know if it's unique about our generation and the generation before but like there's so much of this like we're getting real philosophical for a second right but there's so much of this like 
oh, you can't do X, Y, and Z after a certain age. And I feel like that was very true for like generations before us. Uh-huh. And like our generation is really does not don't. give a shit. It's fantastic. I, have, I don't care at all. And so I think that sometimes you watch a movie like this and you're like, I don't feel this lost nostalgia for stuff that no, I no longer can experience because I can experience it whenever I want to. You know what I, I mean? Think maybe I think maybe that's why the pop culture stuff lands for me because it's more stuff like it's not like that nostalgia trip like oh I remember that it's more like hey I still enjoy that stuff and yeah. that's still really cool to me. Yeah, I watch we watched Predator two oh, or three weeks going ago. Going to go you know ahead I mean? and so, plug. Right. Uh, speaking of Predator, Screenland Armor is getting ready to do an outdoor screening of Predator. So if you're in the Kansas City area, I hit saw that up. That. Screenland Armor has been just on a tear. Fantastic. They they handled the pandemic incredibly well. I actually I kind of want to touch on that because so much of what Screenland is doing and so much of what is really driving people back into the theater, whether into their, I do know they are handling things very well with masks, cleaning, social distancing, but they're also offering these outdoor movies. And almost all of them, they did Empire Strikes Back this past weekend. They are doing these things that people are nostalgic for. And I think creating an opportunity for people to see these in a theater is much more organic and meaningful than seeing some other movie just reference their existence. Yeah, because now we have a real theater and we are so lucky to have this theater in Kansas City that they are facilitating the way this movie wants you to feel. They're actually out there doing it and making it happen. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great bow on that conversation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you're nostalgic for the thing, it's okay for you just to go back and engage with the thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, go play a video game. Go to an old arcade, go watch an old movie, go read a comic book, whatever it is that is nostalgic to you that you you know used to not be able to do anymore. Go out and enjoy that thing. Something That's okay. I so kind of on that note, because I do want to say something nice about this movie. What it's trying to do, and that maybe it is showing some people who are feeling like they can't do those things. Maybe it is showing them they can go do this and feel okay with it. And you yeah. know what? I can't fault anybody for seeing this movie and that being their takeaway. That's the best possible outcome for somebody watching this movie. Feel like you can go enjoy the things you enjoy. And it's true that not everybody has, I don't want to call it a support system, but you know what I mean? Not everybody has people in their life that encourage indulging in those Mm -hmm. things that they may view as childish or whatever it might be. So I think that that is, we were drawing the comparison before of, different generations and how our generation just doesn't give a shit but there are generations above us who maybe do feel mm-hmm. a little bit lost and they're like i wish i could regain that and if this movie helps them do that then i do think so be it, i think know? stranger things really nailed what this movie tried to do especially season three of stranger things which one did they see back to the future and was that season three yeah season three. so i think yeah. i think that did that much more successfully and because it specifically targeted that 80s demographic of people who are adults now but were kids in the 80s. And I think they really nailed it there. And this one, it can't figure out who it's aiming for because, I mean, you have Battletoad stuff. Um, you have, there's a very offhand, like, visual reference to Seth MacFarlane, or not Seth MacFarlane, Todd MacFarlane's uh, Alice in Wonderland. 
Spawn. Um, yeah, and Spawn. Spawn obviously is in there. But one of the there's a character. It looks like Harley Quinn that Irock kicks out of the booth. I'm pretty sure that's actually Todd McFarlane's Alice in Wonderland. That was kind of a cool reference. But it it does so many different things. It can't find its audience. Yep. And so it just bombards you mm-hmm. with it instead of being like let's engage with this single thing, you know, and talk about it. Mm-hmm. So anything else that you guys liked about this movie? No, I I, I think. I think I mean, that was a pretty it. in-depth discussion, both good and bad, about this movie's whole shtick, its entire thing. Right. I have some personal plot stuff that I would like okay. to ask about. Now, is this good or bad? Are we keeping which category are we in right now? I think it's bad. Okay, let's go ahead and shift over then. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to bring it up, and I want to get your opinion on it, basically. So, with any ya you know coming of age thing there's supposed to be this like i'm awkward with girls type of yeah thing. it's in a lot of stuff not well we won't say supposed to but it's in a lot of stuff right and you know it's a tired bit it's in literally every everything where there is a male protagonist that's a teenager you know what i mean i want to talk a little bit about the the thing where they're like they people aren't what they look like online Mm-hmm. thing because a lot of people look like who they look like online and <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah what right. ty sheridan like is basically just ty sheridan with like white hair it certainly keeps those facial expressions sure right and then there's like a a portion later where artemis like has the port wine stain on her character mm-hmm. and it's like i'm not embarrassed anymore and it's like i don't know it just gets into this really weird territory where it's like hey there's these two attractive teens who are attracted to each other but they don't think they're attractive and everybody else who's watching this who like actually struggled in high school yeah. is like fuck this yeah, you know dude, what i mean this is, like, this is laughable when it comes to body image issues because and this is not to downplay anybody who struggles with feeling like they have a birthmark or, or not feeling like they have a birthmark feeling embarrassed of a birthmark any notable physical thing every we all have these traits but also like they're both conventionally attractive people like they're not unattractive and it plays it up in this whole thing of feeling awkward and uncomfortable in your own skin but if they had played into that in the whole be yourself thing feels in disingenuine because it focuses instead on how noble wade is for being attracted to her even though she has a birthmark and that's like that's pretty offensive just to say it's such a minor yeah, thing that like yeah. no i'm still attracted to you it's like yeah of course you are she is an attractive person like that's not for people right. who like really really struggle with body image stuff this is very reductive and almost makes it kind of laughable and it's not it's just not good. And I think that's what bothered me so much about it is that it's like, it just, it really trivializes that type of feeling. And like, maybe it's supposed to be relatable. Like we all feel like that, but I don't know. It doesn't come across as very genuine Mm -hmm. and it, it comes across as really cheap. And so I didn't really love that. Yeah. And I mean, you, you could do so much more with that too, with H and Lena Waithe's character, because Lena Waithe is a black woman, her avatar is a man. 
And also, like, I have this whole other thing of people... I don't know. Lena Waithe always gets cast in voice roles where it's something monstrous and it's kind of upsetting to me it's like that in uh onward and like they made a big deal out of their first open lgbt representation in a character but they also like went out of their way to make the character unattractive and monstrous i don't know there's a lot of baggage there that i am not really happy with that i see in a lot of media but you could have done so much more with her feeling uncomfortable with who she is and how she portrays herself within the game. And right. that would be far more interesting than the than uh, Wade and Sam dealing with their things. And it, it always frames it from Wade's perspective on it. And not it's not meant to be important because Sam struggles with it. It's meant to be important because Wade looks past it. And that's the biggest yes. issue for me. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I have a problem with... I don't even know how to define what I'm talking about. I think I think I feel the same with it. You yeah. do. I think you said it beautifully. <laughs> Riley, what do you think about any of this? No, I mean, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying, so... I think my writ large, my biggest complaint... You boil down every other complaint I have with this movie, and it comes down to this is so... And I mentioned it earlier. This movie has no heart. It has no soul. It is completely just packaged and produced and just fired out there for consumption it's and it's so funny to look at it this way because it's even referenced this type of thing is referenced in another popular spielberg film jeff goldblum's whole bit in jurassic park is talking about you slapped it on a lunchbox you packaged it you produced it and that whole bit highlights the entire issue with this film and i think like i talked about earlier when you bring out the Iron Giant as your mech in a big war, that's missing the point so entirely hard that it it shows you you just don't get what this media is beyond it being a media thing. You don't get the right. there, and I mean you can't dive right. into you the had, meaning you, of everything. You, I get that you had an endless supply of giant robots that you could have used, right? And you, you and you chose the peaceful yeah. one. <clears throat> Power Rangers, you know what I mean? Like you could have done a right. Of, Megazord, yeah. you should, could have done Voltron. They brought in a Gundam, like, and also like even like the Gundam. Voltron, that's a problem. I think a Voltron or a Megazord would have been perfect. They consider themselves the high five. Yeah, they could have all come together. Makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. A Voltron scene instead of Iron Giant would have been so much better. Yep. I want to do one more and way and and way more eighties. True. Iron Giant, Iron, Giant, Iron Giant didn't come out to like 2000. Yeah. yeah. Shit, you're right. I have one more tone plot thing, and then we can get into like some dumb stuff. There's something really funny and unaware, unself-aware about this, this movie and the story being about an evil corporation who will do, will stop at nothing to control media and consumption and the rest of the characters being consumed by (laughs) consumption of pop culture you know what i mean like this movie this movie in this book make what is supposed to be this poignant point about consumerism and money isn't everything and you have you know 
do things for people. And then on the other side, it's like, I know every word of the movie War Games. Oh, my God. You know yeah, we mean? didn't like, really touch on what the challenges are in the book. <laughs> but there's there's it's so funny because it just takes this idea of like, ah, people hate corporations. We'll make a corporation the bad guy. And then everything else is like media put out by corporations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this is Warner Brothers. This is Disney. You know what I mean? It has all this other stuff in it. They're like you are completely unaware of <laughs> the viewpoint of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and obviously like we're watching movies. We have a podcast that talks about movies. We're talking about corporate stuff. You know what I mean? Like I understand the irony of me saying that on a movie podcast, but I also just think like this movie has no, it doesn't know what its point is. And so that's why it's so messy mm-hmm. tone wise. Cause you don't even know like, yeah, you're kind of against the bad guys, but it's also like there's part of you that's like, I don't know, free market. Like <laughs> <laughs> Invisible Hand, man. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I just and then I do want to talk about from a movie construction and writing standpoint, the dialogue is horrible. Yeah. Absolutely terrible dialogue in this it's movie. It's dog shit. Yeah, it's it's bad. And so I would forgive all of the other stuff I mentioned, all of the heartless references, anything like that, if you have an actual movie attached to this, there's no actual movie here for me. It's There's no good dialogue. There's no good writing. The story stinks. There's just nothing there that makes me want to engage with this media. I have a favorite line from this. Okay. And it's when... Um, I'm pretty sure I got this right. It's when... Ty Sheridan's character Wade is talking to Ben Mendelsohn and it's like Ben Mendelsohn's like hey man like I like pop culture like I'll go home and crack open a tab and play some video and uh then he's like I know you're a fake a fanboy knows a hater or something dumb like that and you're like are you fucking serious that was a line that you just said that was supposed to be this badass, like, I know you're not a fan of pop culture. Yeah. Oh, my God. Those two specifically, they write so uh-huh. bad. Ben Mendelsohn's character is just so, just not good. He's not. I mean, he's, Ben Mendelsohn is good, but the words he has to mm-hmm. speak <laughs> are just not good. I mean, we've talked about before, I think we all love Ben Mendelsohn. And this is just, it's such a waste of him. Yeah, You have a guy who is. can be menacing and be a terrifying villain. And he's just not here. He's he's clown shoes. Agree. All right. I have one more dumb character. I will say just a little bit about her. There's a character named Finale in this movie. Oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, I just want to talk about her name. So, okay. <laughs> I actually, I meant to bring this up earlier because I know it's not great in contrast with the villains and their plot and what this movie sells like jeff was talking about i do kind of like the whole idea of this of the debt camp this whole indentured servitude thing i think that's a pretty interesting way of approaching it especially putting so much meaning and weight on this virtual currency like they're literally bitcoin mine when it shows them and i right. i like that concept just executed poorly i will say that's one thing that the book actually does pretty well is it explains why the world is like this and Mm -hmm. it's basically like worldwide famine no jobs terrible economy like the only thing people can do is they 
they scrounge whatever man- money they can and put it into this other world that mm-hmm. doesn't suck as bad. I mean, the fact that the capital of the United States is now Columbus, like, it says <laughs> everything you need to know about what's going on in the world in 2045. Almost like a pandemic that went unchecked. <laughs> yeah. And encouraged everyone to stay inside. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on to our standout scenes. What do you guys have for me? I know the CGI is not good, but I thought the most exciting part was the race in the beginning. The first time they try mm-hmm. to go through it and King Kong is running around. It's all it's all too busy. There's too much going on. But if you're rating the most exciting things that happen in this movie, the the race is probably the one that's the most exciting. That's fair. I actually, I was able to narrow mine down. I'm going to go with the shining scene because I think that's just a real good example of when they kind of got what they were doing and the way they incorporated the music there. And I think showing the theater that was showing the shining and them walking in and it being the overlook on the way they touched on a lot of that, that was pretty good. I, for me, that was the best part. And I think that all really comes back to the way they implemented the original score from The Shining there. Yeah, I got I to gotta agree with Tyler on that uh, Shining scene for me as well. Shining uh, until they get to like just, the zombies, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. The way they were able to incorporate the movie and everything. All right, let's go let down scenes. And I'll throw mine out first. And it's that final battle. It's The dialogue is probably at its worst throughout that. And then the final climax with him going and playing the arcade game and being the best, smartest arcade boy in the world. It's just dumb. I hate it. I think I think for me, I think my letdown was the 20-minute long wrap-up after yeah. mm-hmm. he wins, after he gets the egg and whatnot. I really, really did not like the voiceover oh, of yeah. that part where he's like, well, we decided to do this. Yeah. What a crazy <laughs> summer. <laughs> I have I think the last part is is the worst scene unless you include the club scene. The club is I think the club is just a blanket bad. They're equally bad. Yeah. The thing that drives me nuts is they um they're driving around in the van, right? Trying to get to the final part where he's like putting the key in, there's people chasing him and shit. And they're like, we're going to head towards the stacks, tell everyone we're coming. And then they like pull in, Ben Mendelsohn like gets out and everybody's like, I don't think so. And, and they just like, step aside when he pulls out there's a gun. Like, yeah, there's like 80 of them. And then he has a gun and they're all like, oh no. And just, I didn't sign on the- for that level of commitment. Excuse yeah, me, sir. The- this is, I did not realize you had a gun. Please, <laughs> if you would like to come this way. Also, 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 also. You are led to believe that this world is largely controlled but by IOI, right? They have paramilitary troopers or some shit all the time running around, crashing people off of the roads. And then the cops come like at the very, very end. Like, what are the cops doing the whole time, right? <laughs> There's one guy with a gun in the slums. And they're like, let's go. <laughs> it took him a while to crack the case and really figure him out. What Pin what down the Col- their suspect. What is the Columbus PD doing the entire rest of this movie? I would like to understand. I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. We all do it? We all give our scenes? I think so. 
All right, um, we are going to now move into our Domhnall Gleeson Award, the character that we wish had been in this movie more. So Riley thinks we might all have the same one. So Riley, let's hear yours. Well, I, for me, I think it's Simon Pegg. I guess you can technically at the end with the little, oh, I was there the whole time, you could say he was in it. But I would like the Simon Pegg character actually be in it more, or just the actor, mm-hmm. I guess. Fun fact about Definitely wasted that. him. Yeah, completely wasted. But a fun fact about that role and that character as a curator if you accidentally and maybe like you would know it's his voice whatever but i paused it at one point to go take care of the dogs when he was in the memory bank and it just pops up and it has ogden morrow on screen but it just says simon Pegg curator <laughs> and so it completely ruins that whole little reveal for you if you happen to pause the movie and you've rented it on amazon <laughs> And so I actually don't have that one. I I liked Show a lot. I thought he was really, he was just a fun character. Like, he's like, well, you want me to wear a sign that says I am 11 years old? I love that line. I actually really, really enjoy that and think he was a really fun character to have in this movie. Except as an 11-year-old, I did not see his character teabag <laughs> or do any kind of edgy shit. That's true. So pretty pretty inaccurate the kid just like spinning around in circles and like firing his gun straight up in the air yeah you telling me he <laughs> fucked my mom all this stuff <laughs> yeah give us give us the r-rated cut that's all accurate online video game dialogue that probably an nc-17 cut honestly <laughs> maybe the fastest canceled oh movie absolutely ever. because within the first five minutes you have every single slur ever oh yeah ever possible it's going to be thrown in there possibly some new ones get worked out it would be bad (laughs) online video gaming culture is so terrible it's awful it's just an awful place all right so let's go ahead let's pull up our list today we are going to be doing a draft based on live action films based on video games and the highest rotten tomato score for any one of these is 69 percent so I think uh, it's going to be slim pickings, and this one's going to be pretty fun. So let's do our random number generator. Sorry, no, I was trying to sort my movie list. All right, let's hear those guesses. Riley, what number do you have? 17. Jeff? 6. Okay, and I am going to go with 13. Generate. It's a 9. So you had, who had 6? I had 6. Jeff, I me, Riley. Yeah. All right, Jeff, you are up first. Three movies, and we're going to each go, we're going to pick one at a time for a total of nine movies. Jeff, what's your first pick? I am thinking about it. Probably the first Resident Evil. Okay. There's so many. I'm trying to remember if that's the one that I like the most. It says the final chapter, which I don't even think is the last one, was the highest on rotten tomatoes the original resident evil only got 34 but i think because every single one after that is such a copy of the first one that i think i'm gonna go with the first one easy pick for me at number two i'm taking detective pikachu while it's still on the board ah damn you had to had to snag it i think that's actually a really great pokemon film uh it's i mean yeah it's popcorn blockbuster movie but other it's, other it's than fun. that the one well can we spoil it other than the one twist at the end yeah we can go ahead and spoil it the, the, uh, pikachu being his dad the whole time <laughs> yeah that's rough all right riley your pick okay oh boy there 
after that it goes downhill fast Real um quick. oh there's one i want to take but i want to take a certain version of the movie i'm gonna do it uh with my first pick i'm gonna take sonic the hedgehog <laughs> but i am taking sonic <laughs> the hedgehog pre uh pre new teeth i'm going creepy teeth sonic the hedgehog teeth 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 teeth, <laughs> teeth, teeth. <laughs> All right, Jeff, your pick. Number two. I'm going with the new Tomb Raider. I'm a sucker for Alicia Vikander. It was pretty good. It's like a great weekend movie. You're like, what do you want to watch? You're like, I don't know. I might fall asleep. Oh, you want to throw on Tomb Raider? That's mm-hmm. that's pretty much where it was. There's some good action sequences that's in it. That's supposed to get a sequel, right? I think so. Do you know who's directing it? I do not. It's a Ben Wheatley. Oh. Yeah. So that that has me super into it. And... So for my second pick, I'm going to take this one. I'm kind of surprised it's still on the board. I almost took it first, but I knew Detective Pikachu would go fast. So Detective Pikachu is the highest rated Rotten Tomatoes, but that's deceiving then if you look at Metacritic, because there is one higher, and that is Paul W.S. Anderson's Mortal Kombat. (laughs) That's a good pick. Brought to you by the director of Event Horizon. I actually really dig the Mortal Kombat movie. Riley, your second pick. I like that pick. Second pick. Oh, boy. I'm going to kind of copy Jeff on this, and I'm going to go... I'm going to go with the Lara Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. Is that the Jolie one? Yes, the second one. There's two Jolies, yeah. Yeah. Coming in at a whopping 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) um i now i haven't seen those in a long time but i remember liking them so i'm just gonna go with the higher rated of the two that's fair so oh no jeff never mind i almost tipped my hand jeff it's your pick okay i've only seen three more on this list the only i'm just gonna say which ones i've seen i've seen max Payne, super mario brothers and whichever hitman movie was timothy oliphant between those three, man, very hard to choose a good third choice. Probably Super Mario Brothers because of how fucking crazy it is. That made my last pick a lot easier. Yeah. I I was leaning towards it, but I have a better one. That movie is wild. Just John Leguizamo is, you know what I mean, is one of those people is nuts and then there's like have you heard some of John Leguizamo's stories from the production of that movie? I have not. I would have to pull them up, but I believe there were scenes where they were definitely drunk while filming and also like <laughs> driving during those scenes. Oh, and just no. apparently it's just insane. So I, for my last one, I'm, I'm the horror guy on the podcast and there are some rough things in this movie, but overall it's actually pretty fun and a pretty good video game adaptation. I'm going to go with silent Hill. That one's solid. It's, it's fairly creepy. They kind of nail a lot of the aesthetic, but then have just some really rough CG in writing. Man, the last pick, and the uh, boy, I'm kind of. I'm not going to take Rampage. Rampage was a pile of shit. <laughs> oh my god, that movie sucked. See, I passed on it. I, I'm going to take this solely. This has nothing to do with the movie because the movie is god awful and just unnecessary. Can I predict which one you're going to pick? But I do, I I do love these games, and the yeah, oh, I mean Jeff, you probably I, I know, I know which g- one what it's going to be. be. Yeah. Go ahead. Need for Speed. Oh yeah, it's Need for Speed. Yeah. 
The guy who has I a racing to, rig set up in his house. Yeah, I I got to shout out Need for Speed Underground, Underground 2, Most Wanted, and Carbon. I think those are the really only good ones I, I like. I love Most Wanted. Um, but yeah, movie was god-awful. I think it had the the bitch guy from Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah, it had Aaron Paul. It also had Kid yeah. Cudi. Bitch. Uh, and just a horribly ugly concept car of a gt500 <laughs> just looked terrible you could tell it was built for this movie like they weren't really sure what the car was and they're like well just kind of mold a general car shape <laughs> yeah i i have not seen that one but i did not hear any promising things i do want to shout, shout out one honorable mention and not necessarily because the movie is very good but it does one very cool thing that I liked a lot, uh, and that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Carl Urban in Doom. And there is a there is a scene where, like, Carl Urban, I can't remember what he does. He takes some sort of drug or injects himself with something, and it goes into first person. And it just it does, like, basically him clearing a Doom level. And that, when I was in high school, that was one of the coolest things in the world to me. I'll have to check it out. It's worth it just for that scene. And you could probably just find that scene on YouTube. All right. You know what is surprising looking at this list that I'm just now figuring out? And I'm scrolling through, and Warcraft is the highest grossing movie in this list. Oh Yeah, that's... And I have never heard one person talk about oh, that movie. It is massive overseas though people oh, eat that yeah. is it up overseas it's like china's biggest movie of all time i think i could see that actually yeah i i never saw it no, i don't I mean, know 439 million yeah I don't, I don't know if i know anybody who did see it yeah wow it just barely edges out detective pikachu that's insane all right let's wrap up with ratings on this movie riley will let you go first i think this movie is a solid six and a half Kind of like what we said, like it's it's a good turn your brain off movie. Um, it's got some fun stuff in it. You shouldn't watch this movie if you're looking for, you know, a deep movie. But, you know, if you like that kind of stuff, it's it's a fun it's a fun trip. Yeah, you could say that. I'd say that I'd say that's about a six and a half description. I think I'm going to bring this movie in at a four. I think I think when I watched it today, I think I was probably at a five and a half or a six. And the more we talk about like what's actually kind of sort of deeply wrong with it, I have a hard time giving anything higher. So I think it's going to end up as a four for me. I put it as a yeah, two on Letterboxd. All right. So for me, I think this one really benefited from coming after Wild Wild West <laughs> as we've been watching them. And... It also helped. The first time I watched this, I DNF'd it, and I just couldn't get through it. Sitting down and making myself watch the whole thing, it was it was generous to the movie and what I thought of it. I So I bumped up. I am up from a 1 out of 10 previously to a 2 out of 10. So it's just a barely better than Wild Wild West, but it I there were more things I enjoyed in this than I enjoyed in Wild Wild West, and that was a worse movie. So objectively, as much as I hate the source material for this movie, I do have to give it a little bit of credit. So it's a 2 out of 10 for me. Wow. Yep. The dragon has been slayed. We finally tackled Ready Player One, and now we never have to talk about it again, although I'm sure we will. 
and I'm sure they'll eventually make a sequel to the movie. And that one will probably be nominated for an Oscar as well. God. Man, we didn't even touch on that. Thank God. I might have actually like combusted had we done that. Anyway, this was a really fun episode. We hope you guys had as much fun listening to it as we had talking about it. It actually made for some really great conversation. This has been another episode of Who the Hell is This For? And thank you guys for listening. Shout out again to Joe and Renan. Thanks for this one, guys. Bye.